This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Zen and Capron from China Fintech and Capron Asia on N Financial, dissect their vision, mission, leadership, and financial services after their spin-off from Alibaba Group. We also discuss their global expansion strategy, particularly with the acquisition of MoneyGram. Hi, Zenon. Hi, Bernard. How are you doing? Good. Happy to be back speaking to you. Yes, and I have received a lot of feedback regarding that episode that you introduced FinTech in China and is very well received, particularly with my American and European audience. So I'm talking to Zenon Capron, founder and director of Capron Asia and China FinTech. Since our last conversation, what have you been up to? I think 2017 for us has been really interesting to see how FinTech is transitioning. I think much like many of the conversations we've seen in the past couple of years around blockchain and, and kind of concepts and topics, we're really st- starting to see the rubber hit the road, not just in China, but in Asia as a whole. You know, I think we're, the hype cycle around FinTech has shifted to the next level, whereas, or the next part of the cycle where companies need to get a little bit more serious about what they're doing. And so that's really the transition that we've seen. And, and that's been kind of reflected in our business as well. I mean, we're seeing a lot of interest from traditional technology providers that fintech has spurred them to be more competitive and more proactive. So we're seeing them invest more in the market in Asia and, and China specifically as well. What are the most interesting trends you have seen with regards to the fintech in the first quarter? I mean, are there like new kinds of fintech companies that emerge within China that is becoming more and more interesting? I think it's really a a continued establishment of the market leaders. So, I mean, obviously, Alipay and WeChat Pay continue to grow uh, and financial, which we'll talk about later. As mobile payment acceptance uh, increases here in China, it's it's very rare that you go to a offline merchant that doesn't accept some form of QR payments, whether that be with WeChat or Alipay. And the other thing that we're seeing really is the integration of some of these both technologies and platforms. So uh, Tencent just announced its numbers, uh, I believe, in the last couple of days, and and they beat estimates again, and they continue to grow as a company. And I think we're starting to see a lot of their strategy around payments and platforms really take hold. So you see a lot of these WeChat payments are being processed through platforms like Meituan. You know, people can go onto a Meituan platform, which is basically a, a group buying slash directory of services where you can buy food or goods or memberships at gyms, et cetera. And they're using WeChat to check out and to pay. And so really, I think, you know, from the platform perspective, it's been quite interesting. And and the other side is the technology side. I think we're, we're seeing a lot more around AI here in China as Asia as a whole, I think AI and its impact on financial services and and just the tech industry as a whole is quite interesting. And so that's been something that we've been looking at. It it still remains to be seen how that's going to be applied in the industry, but that's definitely a trend that we see for the rest of 2017. That's interesting. But today's main topic is about a company called N Financial. And just to give a quick introduction, the company is officially founded in October 2014 and originated from Alipay, which belongs to the Alibaba Group. And it is the leading third 
party payment platform founded in 2004. I guess from its, the website, its vision is actually to bring small and beautiful changes to the world. And N Financial is actually dedicated in to create this open ecosystem enabling financial institutions and partners to make rapid progress towards what's Internet Plus, which is part of China's five-year plan. Do note that even though N Financial belongs to the Alibaba Group, but it was not part of that IPO in New York Stock Exchange under Baba with a market cap of 271.14 billion, I think in 2014. So it's actually separate. It has an IPO yet. As far as what people think it is going to go, which looking from public records is that there, there is a possibility of M Financial going public at some point. So I want to start off with asking you, can you talk about the mission and vision of N Financial and where they are within the China ecosystem itself? Sure. So I think the, you know, what you read on their website the the idea of bringing small and beautiful changes in the world might be a little bit too touchy-feely for what's actually happening on the ground, but really Ant Financial is trying to create a platform of financial products and services that serves China. And what's interesting about that is that they really want to serve all of China and a lot of what they're doing. I mean, obviously, the things that we see in the newspaper are, are around wealth management products and, and some of the digital payment products that they're doing in the bigger cities in China. But they also have a strategy in the smaller cities as well. We had a discussion with them late last year, talking to their head of strategy. And it was really interesting to see how they were bringing theory to practice in financial inclusion in China. And China has been one of the poster countries for bringing people out of poverty. I mean, if you look at the numbers around how many people have been brought out of poverty and kind of into the financial system, they're they're quite incredible. And indeed, 75%, three quarters of China's population is banked already. But what N Financial is doing more than creating a financial ecosystem just for the top tier cities is really working on this idea of financial inclusion. And that's something that we haven't seen in China before, because a lot of the banks have struggled to make viable distribution and product models around that, around financial inclusion, just because of the lack of information and credit history of a lot of the people that they're lending to. But Ant Financial really has a strategy around that. And so I think that that's kind of what differentiates it in my mind is, is really creating a platform for everybody in China. I also forgot that to mention the M financial in Chinese means Jingji. Something I would like to follow up on is that do they focus a lot more on digital payments or a lot more into financial inclusion to actually bring the unbanked into their platform so that they can actually do payments? If you look at the history of Ant Financial and digital payments, it started off 2003-2004 with Taobao and Tmall. So when those platforms launched, those are the e-commerce arms of Alibaba. Alibaba needed some form of trust, basically, because a lot of the e-commerce transactions around that time were done cash on delivery. So basically, you would order something online, and then it would be delivered to you, and you would you would pay the delivery guy. The challenge with that is that there's a lot of room for fraud. So the Alipay product originally started off as an escrow product to solve that problem of trust in e-commerce and really develop their e-commerce business. It almost seems like everything that happened after that was it may not have been in the original vision of Jack Ma when he set up Alibaba. But I think Ant Financial, the the focus and the importance of that part or that relationship to Alibaba, as you mentioned, it's not part of Alibaba itself, but the focus of that company has been critical for the future strategy of this company going forward. So I think, you know, digital payments really for, for any of these platforms are the, the plumbing that gets all of the other services going. So once you have digital payments, then, you're, then you can very easily layer wealth management products on the top of that, insurance product on the top of that, and various other financial products and services that both, you know, go towards financial inclusion and just what we call democratizing wealth management. 
So essentially making wealth management available to the masses in China. So I think it's gone from a digital pay- payments platform to become much more. And I think that's their vision going forward, especially with an IPO probably happening in the next year and a half with Ant Financial. That, that has to be part of their vision going forward. It's kind of an ironic here because eBay has purchased PayPal to be part of its platform and in the end had no choice but to spin it off into two separate public companies. Whereas if you look at in the case of Alibaba, they did it exactly as a separate company. Do you find that parallel interesting? Well, well, keep in mind, though, that the original Alipay was part of Alibaba, and it was spun off because of, in, in theory, because of regulations, although there, there were regulations around 2010, 2011 that, that said that foreign companies basically couldn't operate payments businesses. So the company was shifted out as Alipay and as, as a local Chinese company and then eventually became Ant Financial. So I think while there are certainly parallels with that, it would be interesting to know, to see if they, if they didn't have to spin it off, if it would have had the same success. Because because I think certainly, you know, eBay and PayPal hit a certain point that, as you mentioned, they, they were probably better off alone. So that separation has definitely helped Ant Financial because it clears up a lot of the issues around regulation, focus and strategy and allows them to go in their direction while Alibaba continues to develop in its core businesses. So how is Ant Financial's coverage in China and how are they compared to Tenpei? I mean, based on what Matthew Brandon from China Channel, who recently came on my show, Tenpei currently has 30.1 market share and Alipay has about 50 plus percent plus market share in China. But he mentioned that this this is not to say that Tempe is gaining a significant share because the amount of people coming into this new financial inclusion system that M Financial have is actually much more significant, means the pie is actually growing bigger. So where do you see that piece is? Yeah, yeah. That, and, and because neither of the companies really put out uh, regular stats on usage or number of transactions, it's sometimes... Um, uh, you know, it's 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 fishing a bit to find accurate data. Uh, you know, looking at press releases and looking at various other sources to try and garner where they stand in terms of competitive situations. I mean, the agreed upon numbers up until the end of last year were pretty much like Matthew said. Uh, you know, it was about thirty percent towards Tenpei, which includes WeChat Pay, um, and, and fifty fifty plus for Alipay. I think the thing that's been really interesting is how that shifted over time. Uh, so if you look. If you go back uh, three or four years to 2013, if you looked at the market share at that point, Alipay would have controlled about 85 to 90% of the mobile payments market and 70 to 80% of the online payments market. And now that's shifted such that Tenpay has this, this 30, potentially even higher 35% market share. And so a lot of that has been driven by social payments. So the idea that you can send somebody money within the chat. Uh, just as an example, I had some friends over for dinner last night, and at the end of the night, we split the split the bill between us, and they just went into our group chat and and sent me money, and it was very easy to settle. Uh, so that that P two P element of payments has really helped TenPay and WeChat Pay uh, grow. In addition, the the platform approach again, you know, tying into these platforms like Meituan gives a lot of stickiness, and there's a lot of social sharing. So, you know, if you happen to be going to uh, Hong Kong and you want me to meet you in Hong Kong, you send me a link in WeChat. I can click on that link. I can book my ticket. I can pay for my ticket. Everything using TenPay and, and, and WeChat Pay. So that's really helped Tencent grow. But at the same time, as, as you rightly pointed out, this, this idea around financial inclusion has been really a focus for Alipay. And I think that's, that's one of the bigger differences between the companies and their strategy going forward. And Tencent has this very much platform approach where it's using 
payments to to enable the plumbing behind all its other products and services that don't tend to be too financially inclusion focused, whereas Alipay is a lot more financial inclusion focused in a lot of products and services. So as they bring that that next hundred million people online and, and get them banked, it's um, it's quite impactful, certainly on their numbers as well. So that's both of those are making the market incredibly competitive, not just in first tier cities, but uh, you know, as you get out into second and third tier cities as well. I was impressed by the fact when I was in Hangzhou that almost everywhere I go accepts Alipay, even to down to the micro businesses as well. So I want to talk about the key products and services of N Financial. So maybe I will start off with Alipay. Can you tell me a little bit about how Alipay has evolved since the days of being just an escrow service to the Alibaba platform for Taobao? Sure. So the original platform was an internet payments platform that allowed people to settle e-commerce transactions on Taobao or Tmall. That gradually expanded to be an internet payment option for other platforms as well. So if you were booking travel on, say, Elong, or if you were buying goods and services Services on another site, you could use the Alipay checkout feature on that website on the computer. Gradually, Alipay, well, I guess at the time it would have been Alibaba, created a mobile wallet version, so a mobile app specifically around Alipay. And since then, it, the functionality has really grown on the app. I mean, within the Alipay app itself, you can buy movie tickets, you can book taxis, you can obviously pay for goods and services, you can send money to friends, pay for utilities, mobile phone, any number of things within that platform. So it's really become, for many people, in terms of their financial lives anyways, the one-stop shop for functionality. So so Alipay, you know, still fundamentally at its base is this digital payments platform offering both internet and mobile payments. But over the past couple of years has become much more as it's become more of a digital payments platform rather than a digital payments product. Of course, the other product that I remember you mentioned in our last podcast episode is Sesame Credit. So can you talk about that product itself? Yeah, so one of the challenges in China is that the lack of a centralized credit database or a complete centralized credit database. So as of last year, we heard some stats that about half of China's population has credit information stored with the PBOC, so the People's Bank of China or the the Central Bank of China. So that's half the population has a record in their credit database. And then of that half, only a half of that half so a quarter of the entire population actually has transactions behind their name. So if you think about when you're using a credit card in Singapore or when I use a credit card in the United States, all of those transactions form part of my credit history and go into one of three or four centralized credit databases. And so nearly the population in the United States, more than 90% have some kind of credit record that companies can make decisions off of. But in China, that's not the case, at least from the government side. So the government a couple of years ago selected eight technology companies to create credit rating platforms, basically, to use their data and their information, their know-how to help rate individuals and small and medium businesses to help them obtain credit. And and for many of these companies, it's quite a challenge because a lot of the large banks are focused on state-owned enterprises. So you have these small medium enterprises and the individuals that are often starved of capital. So basically, Sesame Credit is Ant Financial's credit platform. And so using a large number of data sources, they bring together information to give you a credit score, kind of very similar to a FICO score that you would get in other markets. So 600, 700, 800. And one of the interesting things is in Hangzhou, you mentioned Hangzhou when you were there and everybody accepting Alipay. In Hangzhou, you can actually, based on your credit score, you can borrow an umbrella 
So at the Hangzhou train station, you, there's a stand, and if your credit score is good enough, you can scan a QR code, and it will release an umbrella for you to borrow. Now, that's kind of a trivial example, but the more important examples are actually making decisions on lending. So again, when you get into some of these financially excluded areas where banking isn't so prevalent, people may be what's called thin file or basically not have a lot of credit history behind their name. But Sesame Credit allows and financial and other providers who subscribe and buy the Sesame Credit data to get a reasonable picture about the credit of an individual. And that product has been, although there's been some questions about how accurate the credit data is that they're collecting, that's been a very successful product for and financial and enables them to add a lot of other products and services around that, which is part of their kind of longer term strategy, certainly. It's almost as if Sesame Credit is kind of like a credit bureau that actually knows actually similar to, as you mentioned, the FICO score in the US, and but are much more accurate because they look at their transactions, financial transactions daily. How about my bank then? Yeah, so my bank was, a, a number of years ago, the Chinese government decided that they were going to allow private banks to set up. And so what do we mean by private bank? Well, in China, all of the banks, excluding the foreign banks, but all of the domestic banks were somewhat state-owned. Even after they were listing ICBC as 7 or 8% state-owned, you know, the, the big banks were all had some element of state ownership. So the government decided that they were going to allow completely private banks to set up. And so my bank was in financials foray into that market. So it's a largely digital private bank insofar that it's completely privately owned and there's no government ownership in the bank itself. And it predominantly offers lending services to small medium enterprises and individuals. So again, you can kind of see how this all starts to fit together now. You've got the payments platform in Alipay, you've got the credit rating with Sesame Credit, and now you have this MyBank that's enabling the lending. And so it's actually lending out. My bank is taking deposits not only from its own individuals, but it also securitizes some of these loans out to the other banks. So as an example, my bank may get a request for 3 million renminbi loan. As an example, most most of the loans tend to be smaller size. I think the average is about 30,000. But say if they get a large loan and they don't necessarily want to handle it themselves, they can syndicate it out to banks and the banks can package it as wealth management products. So it's not just a bank in the strict sense, but it's also a source of lending and borrowing for other organizations within the financial industry in China. So it's quite interesting. But that being said, these private banks have not made a lot of traction. If you look at their balance sheets, I believe the combined balance sheets of all the private banks in China is, I think, about 40 billion at the moment. If you look at the balance sheet of a ICBC, as an example, it's several trillion. So the scale of these smaller banks is, is quite limited so far, but it's it's really interesting. And it'll be, it'll be curious to see how this develops over the next few years. It's interesting because it seems that my bank is a form of kind of trying to do digitization or securitization in a way. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I forgot to put one more product in. It's Yuebao. That's from N Financial as well, right? Yeah. So that product evolved quite interestingly. So what Alipay and, and Alibaba started to notice was that a lot of people were leaving money on their Alipay wallet. And when you can use the money for many different things, both online transactions and offline transactions, there's always going to be a little bit of money that you, you may forget about and leave on your wallet. And so what Alipay did was set up a platform called Yuebao, which, which actually, when translated, means less 
leftover treasure. And it basically allowed people with very small amounts of money to invest in wealth management products. So if you look at the history of wealth management products in China, to buy something, even even what would be considered a time deposit or a you know a simple money market fund would require at least a thousand renminbi minimum investment. But with Yuebao, it allowed people with as little as one renminbi to invest. And when it was first launched, the products were largely based off of interbank lending. And because liquidity in the in the financial industry was very tight, they were able to offer rates that were about six or 7%, which is at the time was nearly triple what you could get in a bank deposit. So there was a tremendous interest in this Yuebao platform. And it's really served as the basis for a lot of Ant Financial's other wealth management products very much work in a similar way. Within your Alipay wallet, you can invest directly into money market funds or stock index funds or any number of other financial products on there. So it's it's become a key part of their financial product offering as well. I thought I should actually find out who are the key people in the executive leadership team in N Financial. Yes, as you mentioned before, and we talked about, Ant Financial was spun off from Alibaba. And so, you know, the management team there is all industry veterans that have a very big focus on the financial industry. So their their executive, their chairperson is a woman named Lucy Pong, and she's the executive chair. And then the, the CEO is a gentleman named Eric Jing. And so they kind of drive the management and the leadership up there. Uh, another key person in the organization is Chen Long, who's their chief strategy officer. And we had the opportunity to meet him. And he's a very, very smart, well-educated person with incredibly interesting views on the impact that Ant Financial can have on financial inclusion. And so really in our thinking, I mean, he's been keen, he's been a key part of that push towards financial inclusion. And so he's quite, he's quite an influential part of the, the management team as well. So Ant Financial has gone global. It has made a few major investments and acquisitions across the world. I know in Southeast Asia, Alipay is probably their most prominent product that is pervading in Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia. And I'm actually starting to see people are starting to use that because there's a significant overseas Chinese population uh, from mainland China living in this region. I'm very curious about the recent acquisition that they actually offered US $800 million to buy MoneyGram, which is a remittance service. And now Euronet is actually upping the bid to $1 billion. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. I mean, for there's two ways you can look at any of these platforms expanding internationally, Tencent or, or and Financial being the two big ones in terms of the financial digital payments platforms. I mean, you can build versus buy. And Financial strategy thus far, I mean, one of the other places that they've invested heavily is India. We've talked about this before, but their investment in Paytm in India. They looked at that market and seemed to say that, okay, we can do this ourselves or we can invest in a player that's already there. And they invested in it been quite successful for them. I mean, they've both brought best practices to Paytm. And, you know, one of the challenges in India that was similar to here in China is the lack of a physical point of sale network. And so with QR codes, with Ant Financial and Alipay success in QR codes here in China, that's a best practice that they can bring into India and the Paytm. So in that case, they definitely, they bought in to access the market and and bring their talents to the market. And they felt that Paytm was was a good investment. And so far, it seems to have been worked out well for both companies. With the MoneyGram, it's a little bit different because MoneyGram is almost a question of access, market access. And one of the challenges of doing payments in a place like the U.S. is that in order to do payments or any kind of money transmission business in the U.S., you need to be licensed in every state that you operate in. 
which for a foreign company can be quite challenging. I mean, there's lots of, you know, there may be concessions that you need to make. There may be special hoops that you need to go through, and it's 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 probably a big headache. So the MoneyGram ex- acquisition or the attempt that they're trying to make to acquire MoneyGram is really interesting because I think it's it, it gives them market access as well as that global business around remittances and, and money transfer, the kind of global business of payments and transfers. So I think it's quite an interesting, it's interesting move. I don't know if the numbers make sense behind it, but certainly the strategy behind it makes sense because it's a it's a market access play and it gives them access to a whole new set of customers, a whole new set of markets, which could play out quite interestingly for them. It's interesting you mentioned Paytm in India. They have actually invested about $680 million in the company and now they have about 40% stake and actually Jack Ma sits on the board. One interesting thing was during the recent demonetization event which I covered in one of my recent episodes is that actually Paytm doubled the number of users from 100 million to 200 million users because of demonetization. So that there is actually a growth stage up there. Do you foresee that this will be the same if they want to go to somewhere like Brazil or other forms of emerging economies instead of trying to build, they buy into those companies similar to that? I think it, it makes a lot of sense for them. You know, we've seen challenges. I mean, Tencent most famously went into Thailand last year, I think it was last year or at the end of 2015, and they ran into trouble with the regulators around their WeChat a products. And I think that's an example of one of the challenges of the, the build approach is because you have to deal with regulations yourselves and you're you're kind of starting from scratch. So for this go big strategy that and financial seems to have about growing globally and, and creating this platform for many different countries, not just China. I think we'll see a lot more acquisitions in the future, or maybe just a couple of key big ones like the MoneyGram, which gives them access to a lot more space. But I think we will see a period of digestion after any of these acquisitions because it's, you know, if you look at the time, they made some small acquisitions after Paytm, but there was a period of time that they were just waiting and, and, and working out everything that was happening on that because it is risky when they're expanding abroad and they're spending a lot of money to do it, they need to be careful that they don't overstretch themselves. So I think if the money gram goes through, that might be the last big acquisition we see from Ant Financial for a little while until they have a time to really, you know, internalize and digest that acquisition. I thought I should ask a hypothetical question. You know, at, at the point when eBay is spinning off PayPal into a public listed company, do you think they should have bought PayPal then? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think it would have been an interesting match. I sometimes struggle. I look at PayPal and I look at PayPal's you know, history and they've had all of the opportunities that an Alipay has had with the exception of market size. Of course, Alipay had you know, access to 1.4 potential billion customers here in China. But there were a lot of strategic decisions that PayPal made and then and being folded back into eBay that kind of struggled. It didn't allow them to grow as quickly as they could. So it's been really interesting to see how innovative Alipay has been and how slightly slower to innovate PayPal has been. But certainly from an international perspective, I mean, the network that PayPal has around the world and its ability to deal with cross-border payments is really impressive. I mean, one of their biggest markets is here in China, and it's basically helping overseas merchants sell to domestic merchants sell to overseas markets. And that's, that's a huge part of their revenue globally, but not just, you know, a huge part for China as well. So moving forward, who would be the major competitors to M Financial? I'm sure PayPal is one of them since they're publicly listed. 
Yeah, I think PayPal certainly, I mean, the traditional players, banks are still, although, although the Alipay has taken a significant portion of the payments market away from banks here in China, I think that will still be a challenge in other markets that are more developed and have more mature payments infrastructure. I mean, we're seeing the struggles that Apple Pay is having globally and most recently in Australia, where there's been some struggle with the banks there about what's proper approach to the market. And if you look at a market like Australia, tap and go is very convenient. And I've had conversations over the past week with people that are used to using tap and go and they look at QR codes and they say, wait, I have to unlock my phone. I have to scan a code. It's much easier for this. So I think, you know, one of the bigger competitors for and financial would just be a user inertia. You know, in these markets where payments are very convenient and very cheap and very easy to use, what's the value proposition of that an Ant Financial or an Alipay brings to the market? So that'll be one of their other key challenges as they go forward. How do you see their strategy moving forward then? Is it more going to be acquisitions or are they going to just go into other markets before they go public as rumored? Yeah, I think in terms of going public, I think one of the challenges for any of these Chinese companies is the understanding of the markets that they're listing in. And I think that's one thing that Alibaba has struggled with. You know, being on the ground here in Shanghai, we see the impact that Alibaba has. I've spent an embarrassingly large amount of money on Taobao and Tmall over the past couple of years, buying anything from popcorn to bicycle parts to clothing. It's just so easy. And it's very difficult from a foreign perspective to understand the impact that these companies are having on the market. So I think, you know, Alibaba's market capitalization in the U.S. has struggled because of that, uh, because people don't necessarily see the potential impact that the market, this company could have on the market here. And so I think with Ant Financial, they're going to wait a little bit longer and make sure that the impact is clear. And, you know, the best way to, to get visibility is to be in that market. So if they can go forward on MoneyGram and they can bring digital payments to a market like the U.S., that'd be really interesting. And then people will sit up and take notice. And then it's a little bit easier to you know, to get a better valuation on on your IPO. So that could be part of their strategy. But clearly, the go global on the end financial side of the business is is a key part of their strategy going forward. And, and we're seeing that, you know, more and more with the staff that they have in various different regions, the teams that they've set up in, in Europe and in the US and everywhere else, and then the acquisitions that they're making. It, it's clear that they want to go global and very quickly. Zenon, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. And thank you for helping us to shed a light on and financial, one of the probably biggest financial institutions in China, but maybe global-wise as well. Help my audience, how do they find you? Yeah, so our company website is CapronAsia, K-A-P-R-O-N-Asia.com. And so you can reach me on, on Twitter. We're also at CapronAsia. And also China Fintech as well? Yes, at China Fintech. You can find me at bleongcw.bernardleong.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast and tune in and of course Google Play in the US market tweet to me at Analyze Asia A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia and of course give us a 5 star rating on iTunes recommend us on Overcast and of course drop us valuable feedback so Zenon thank you for coming on the show thank you my pleasure